With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The following presentation is an Elmarva Studios production. You're listening to the Fact Hunter Radio Network. Here is your host, George Hobbs. Welcome back, Fact Hunters and Truth Seekers from around the world. It's time for a very special edition of the Fact Hunter podcast as we record on a Wednesday afternoon, November 1st, 2023. Uh, As you all remember, a few months ago, we had Gary Wayne on and we had a pretty in-depth discussion about the Nephilim. And we have someone who has a YouTube channel, Mr. Paul Stobbs, uh, entitled Understanding Conspiracy. It's doing really well. It's got close to 18,000 followers, and he's also working on a book. But as we have been mentioning, uh, Paul has a very unique take on the Nephilim, uh, that they have a look like clowns, and we're going to bring him on right now. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome Paul to the show. Paul, how are you doing today, sir? I'm very well, thank you, uh, George. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's great to have you. We really got um, great reviews back from Gary Wayne's episode, and we're really excited to hear your take uh, on the Nephilim. And uh, is it something that we can kind of, uh, you know, everybody refers to the movie They Live, right? And in that movie, they put on the glasses and they were able to detect who the the leaders and the controllers of this world are. Is this something that you've maybe found a connection to the people who were controlling the evil on this world to to clowns? <laughs> yeah, well, that's one analogy that definitely fits the bill. I'll say that much for sure. Yeah. Um, it, this what I've discovered is very much one of those things that once you see it, you can't unsee it. It's uh, it's very much one of those symbols that once you recognize it for what it truly means, uh, you can't really look at clowns the same way ever again or anywhere you see a clown the same way ever again it's uh it's definitely one of those theories that can grip you in that way definitely and you you've actually been you, your channel i think you've had for six or seven years so you've been hammering away at this for, for quite a, a long time what was it that kind of tipped you off to uh, the nephilim and then uh onto uh how they look like clowns yeah, so I, I started my channel in 2014 but it was um in development for a good few years prior to that, I was going through my journey around 2010, 2011 of waking up. That that phrase, I don't like using that phrase, but you know, I was I was kind of learning a thing or two towards the end of the world in 2012. You know, yep. that was my trigger point. That was the thing that got me rolling and asking questions. Um, and then the YouTube channel was kind of something I created after I finished university as as an end of year project. I have, I have a degree in art, and that's kind of what I ended up doing in the end. All my artwork became about learning about all these truther topics. So I made the channel as like a 
a thing for it, you know, and it helped me get my degree. At the end of the day, it got graded. But uh, after after university, it became its own thing. It, it became a place where I was hashing out my own ideas and doing my research heavily into occult symbols, um, just the dark, shadowy, hidden world around us that you start to see when your eyes open, you know. Yeah. And I, I collaborated with a few people back in the day, you know, people like KJ Osborne, uh, Tony from God Rules, things that just... just I was getting into the culture, you know, and I was I was trying to just have conversations with people and share ideas. And during that time as well, I was kind of coming to my own faith in, in Jesus Christ and kind of strengthening that, coming out of the New Age Gnostic worldviews yeah. I had prior to going through university. Um, I was very much a psychedelic tripper type, you know, and I saw a thing or two during those years of my life, which made me understand there is a, a psychedelic fractal matrix dimension which things reside in you know and sure. that can make one question a thing or two when you start to realize that uh, so knowing there was a spiritual realm made me realize there's a god as well you know and that's what got me to christianity i say i was saved in um a march 2014 and my life has got so much better since then but that's a whole other testimony for another time for, for a sure. long hour long conversation you know <laughs> but uh Basically, during this time, 2014 to 2016 period, I was seeping myself heavily in biblical history and researching the Nephilim. Uh, Gary Wayne was actually a huge influence for me during that time. I had his book, The Genesis 6 Conspiracy. I was uh, absorbing a lot of his work, and he was answering a lot of questions for me about the origins of the Nephilim and where demons come from and what they are today, you know, and having the ancient roots in this Nephilim creation story. And so I was very well aware of these giants that are, are the offspring of fallen angels mixing with human women. And I'm very well aware of the dragon serpentine nature of these angels. And I, I already had this trippy concept in mind of what would that even look like? What would it look like for a lizard thing to mate with a human right. woman? You know, <laughs> what would that, that's insane, you know, because I always, I always remembered, you know, when the Nephilim research was relatively new, you always saw pictures of really hench human looking giants, yep. like ripped, ripped humans is what they always get depicted as. And I was always thinking like, they wouldn't have looked like that. That's just too human. These things aren't human. You know, these things are something else. They're not humans, just bigger. They are divine in nature. They are part angel, you know, and they would have had some weird trippy stuff going on based on just the way they look and mixing that with humans, you know, and, Again, Gary Wayne never really elaborated on what they looked like necessarily, but he did uh, talk about different tribes of Nephilim and what their names would donate, you know, things like the, the terrible ones or the loud ones, you know, the, the Zamzamines and all these type of things, the long necks. And there was examples you could kind of gleam information. So I always, I always, always had that under my belt during this time period. And I kind of... um had had a few experiences myself, psychedelic, weird spiritual experiences, which gave me glimpses of these creatures people see when they're in the DMT realm. Um, and, and one night I myself saw a, an enormous jester-looking thing, a black and white pattern fractal jester. Um, and this was a flashback a couple of years after I'd quit all this stuff. I just randomly had this vision one night, you know, so I thought I was just having a DMT flashback. I thought the drugs were just doing something in my brain and surprising me for 10 seconds with this vision. But uh, sure. in hindsight, I'm wondering if maybe I was being shown something by God. I don't know anymore. <laughs> you start to question these things sure. considering where I am today and what I'm talking about. But um, at the time I just took it as information and moved on with my life, you know, and I never forgot this vision of looking up at this enormous giant 
big, wide-lipped, grinned, black-and-white, skinned, patterned, horned, head-angled-shaped monster, you know. Um, it looked like a jester, you could call it, but it wasn't that. It was some, it was a creature of some kind that was shaped like a jester. It, it wasn't wearing jester clothes with bells, you know. It was shaped that way. Sure. It was, it was skin was that color. It was insane, you know. So I had that. I had all this knowledge of the Nephilim, and I'd always been having these questions and artistic flourishes in my mind of what what would they have actually looked like you know i had always wondered and um i had this other dream around the same time period i was getting heavily attacked spiritual warfare wise in my dreams i was having horrible nightmares as i was quitting cannabis losing addictions leaving that life behind it kind of came for me you know what i mean and i was doing a lot of battling in my dreams and i did have this other vision of being approached by a, a hatman entity and I didn't know anything about the hat man by this point, but I was approached by this trench coat wearing, fedora hat wearing, cane carrying shadow entity in a dream. And I never forgot that either. It was a nightmare. It was horrible. I was being chased by it. It was telling me I owed it something. I don't know what, maybe some soul contract I'd made years ago. I don't know what was going right. on, but that stuck with me as well. And the way it was dressed was so bizarre. It was like the ringleader of a circus. You know, it had this hat, this multicolored purplish long trench coat with this cane. It had these multicolored ribbons just flying from behind it in all directions, like the mummers or the, you know, the, the Morris dancers of England, these multicolored ribbons everywhere. And I never forgot that either. And then to fast forward with all this stuff going on in my head, suddenly in 2016, the clown sightings happened. And these people were menacingly standing on street corners, scaring people, you know, trying to lure them into the woods. And it became a national phenomenon. Like every news station, not just in America, it was in the UK as well, was talking about the killer clown sightings. And I was well versed enough in the conspiracy by this point to understand that they wouldn't be showing this to us unless they wanted us to see it. The media is controlled and orchestrated. Their way of they disclosure. Yeah, they don't just show you stuff for no reason, you right. know, and, and they made a point of driving home this point. Look at the clowns everywhere. Look at these clowns appearing everywhere. They're just manifesting and scaring people. Nobody knows who they are. You know, it's so mysterious. And something clicked in my mind after this event. And I was like, what if I just typed in Nephilim and clown? What if I just give that a go into any random search engine? You know, I don't know. Something just pushed me to do it because... <laughs> demons clowns all together controllers societies controlling the media they worship demons it was all kind of just clicking into place you know <laughs> i just i just did a cursory search into youtube nephilim clown and nothing came up with that title specifically but I, I was scrolling through and i found a random video about the nephilim of the past you know and it had that image on it of um, the giant holding down a woman it's really step stereotypical popular image online people use to show yeah. the nephilim and I clicked on it. It was by a YouTube channel called The Epic Conspiracy. And he, he doesn't have many subscribers, maybe like a couple hundred. And he wasn't being serious. He was actually mocking conspiracy theorists. He was making a mock video to to make fun of people who believe in conspiracy theories. Right. And he was using the, the Nephilim as his theme for this particular video. And he did it in that stereotypical history channel, you know, 
tone like it was <laughs> it was an over exaggeration yeah 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 you know and he, <clears throat> he talked about the nephilim and he was describing the nephilim as having red skin and white hair there's only one logical conclusion they were interdimensional killer clowns from out of space <laughs> right. you know and, and he spoke <laughs> like that and he was taking the piss you know right but he something clicked when he said that i was like you're more right than you realize you know there's something to this actually they're connected in some way so from then on i I started really going into it and the connections just kept coming and like said here i am seven years later writing the book on the subject with the 41 episode series on my channel just exploring this idea that what what we call a clown in the west is a purposefully designed caricatured symbol that represents the nephilim used by secret societies as a means to reference the Nephilim symbolically in things, let's say, like the media or the news, but also in order to dress like the Nephilim and evoke the spirit and channel them openly in public without the public realising that that's what they're doing. It's an occult symbol that we aren't supposed to understand that's used by occultists to channel demons. So that's why the Shriners, for example, dress like clowns. With, you know, the, with that's the, one their big hats, uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Every every shriner, every shriner sect has a clown sect within them, and it's um, we can get into it later. Like you put, I ask some questions, but there's a there's a history to this, um, and I've kind of uncovered it all. That it was all by design, absolutely. It's no like no laughing matter either. That's interesting. It says the Melha clowns continued. Uh, to be uh they're often considered the most visible ambassadors of the shriners organizations um mm-hmm. that's interesting they even have a clown's prayer uh, i'm sure you've come across that that's really interesting well it, on the secret society while we're on it yeah. um see to be a shriner you have to have already gone through the degrees of freemasonry so it's already a step above the standard of freemasonry um, but then even then if you are a shriner you could be selected to be a member of a secret society above that called the Royal Order of the Jesters. Um, and that's by invite only. And they only invite 13 people a year. And if you ask to be a member, you're disqualified. You'll never be a member. Really? That's how exclusive this club is. Um, and you'll be hard pressed to find any information on the Jesters. And they got caught up in a a, a child smuggling operation um, some kind of sex ring operation. And um, some of the members were in the spotlight for a very brief moment before everything got expunged off the internet and the Wikipedia page got cut down to like one paragraph. And it was, uh, they are dark people. They are people that theorize maybe they're just like the pimps and drug peddlers of the secret societies. They bring in the people, you know, and the drugs. I think it's more sinister than that. I think they are the true... <sighs> the darkest people do you think they're the ones like, that like let's just say directly um connect with satan oh yeah uh they are you know like for example do you know like you have uh the joker in batman yeah sure these people are literally insane like that they have no care for humanity at all right they are utterly irreverent these are the, the most insane people 
are the ones who get invited into becoming members of the sect. And they're probably the ones that go out there and murder people, blow places up, orchestrate chaos in the world. They are the true agents of chaos. They are, sure. and they have no remorse. They revel in it. You know, <laughs> that's why they're chosen. I think that's why they get to be a member of this. And it's said it's just an old boys club to get drunk, you know, it's, it, and it's nothing serious. You know, sure. the, 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 what's the phrase? Mirth is king is what the thing is. And they have this little logo called a Billykins, um, which is a naked baby man, basically, with um, a big wooden phallus, which is a gavel. Um, and even that, the Billykins itself was created by some random woman in like the early 90, uh, 19th century, um, the 20th century, should I say. And it's, it's all a very strange. It's just a strange organization. But it's interesting that if you want to be a member of the Royal Order of the Jesters, you have to already be a member of the Shriners the highest members of the Shriners, you know, and it's all, it's a pyramid, you know, and why clowns? It's just so bizarre. What, what does a Middle Eastern themed Islamic sect of Freemasonry have to do with Western clowns? Right. That's totally what, random. It, means, it, it makes no sense until you realize they're just using a costume as a means to channel demons. And, and this is the thing, you know, you'll realize my work on my channel is primarily in a study of anthropology. I'm going through every continent into the folk traditions of everywhere around the world. And you'll find every continent and every country within these continents has folk traditions, which are the oldest traditions those regions have, you know, that date thousands of years. And they all have this similar practice called ancestor spirit worship. And they all understand very clearly, you dress like your ancestors to channel them. That's what they do. They dress like the thing to allow the thing into them, the spirits, you know. And these ancestors aren't grandma or granddad. They're not your aunties or uncles who died years ago. They are the builders of their civilizations. They are the ancient kings and rulers from the antediluvian, even the ancient past. Sure, the old god, the old god generals. That's that's the, that's their version of ancestor spirits. So, you know, they channel them, they get possessed by them, they give them offerings, they eat stuff that they want to eat, you know, they smoke and drink, or they all have their own stylistic way of venerating the ancestors. Um, but the general rule is we dress like them to be possessed by them. And you'll find, my study has shown, they all dress with similar features. They wipe the skin up, they give themselves a headdress, which of red feathers or red reeds of some kind. They put polka dots on the or psychedelic paint patterns all over their body or skin. Um, they they ordain themselves in ribbons in some cases. They wear masks with huge grins and big eyes. They clown themselves up in a very tribalistic way. What we do in the West is we clown ourselves up in our own stylistic way, but it's no different than their practices. And again, we're just kind of ignorant to it in the West because the West is is a highly Christianized region. Um, the Western Hemisphere, we we have Christ right around the corner, you know, and for demons... It's not ideal. <laughs> you know, it's not ideal. It's kind of a dangerous place for them to manifest openly because if somebody who, you know, is strong in their faith and understands spiritual warfare could cast them out, then they're in trouble. You know, it exposes them as well. So they tend to remain hidden in the Western world and don't openly admit they, we don't even believe they exist here. That's how good they've done it, you sure. know, but. So they have to do it in sneaky means, like dressing like a clown and convince us that a clown is just a fun, harmless thing for the kids. You know, and that's that's what an occult symbol is. They want you exoterically to take the base thing away from it, which is a clown is for children. It's to entertain children. It's it's something funny and harmless. Sure. Exoterically, the hidden meaning is it's our ancestor spirit ritualistic garb. 
and they get to wear it publicly make us wear it <laughs> you know they 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 put it in media everywhere they make um the musicians understand the trick as well they dress like crazy psychedelic fractal pattern white skinned red lipped wide clown monsters because they're channeling demons for fame and fortune they're doing the same thing you know it's it's actually if once you understand it you'll find it's an extremely common practice even in the west it's just been hidden from us until recently yeah, and, and everything everything they do and everything they wear has meaning. Uh, the red fez that they wear symbolizes uh, the pinnacle of wisdom. Mm-hmm. That, that that's another one of the things uh, you know that they wear uh, uh, outside oh, yeah. of the, the clown aspect of it. Do you think to, to clarify? Do you think that these people at the very top of the chain uh, do they have direct lineage to the uh, nephilim that are spoke about in Genesis six? Uh, they would like to think they do. Certainly, um, they 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 think they have the divine rights rule, which is angel blood, you know, um, which is half Nephilim, half human. So yeah, it all goes back to Cain as well. Some people believe, you know, they're, they are continuation of Cain's lineage, and I, I do think a lot of the royal families certainly believe they have special royal blood, which is For the sure. dragon blood, the serpent blood. You know, Gary Wayne covers this quite a lot in his um, in his book, to be honest. But yeah, definitely, um, and and this is what this is the point, you know bringing it back to the clowns um it might be good to explain just why a clown is a caricature of a nephilim creature so we have to bear in mind that a serpent mixed with a human would look very strange sure because we don't have scales but a serpent does so it's not necessarily like the creature of the nephilim would end up with scales but they would end up with some kind of in-between strange psychedelic colored weird skin wouldn't look anything like that they wouldn't look anything like us maybe slightly human in shape Mm -hmm. perhaps in silhouettes but the features are not human it's uncanny they're almost human but not quite you know and with this bizarre of exaggerated features let's get into it um so let's start with the face of a clown the base of a clown is white porcelain skin you know and wild red hair that is also the base description of any nephilim creature throughout history they have extremely pale skin and they have either golden hair or some kind of bright colored red hair red is the most common description and um, people in the americas tribes who have contended with the mound builders for millennia you know have their old oral tradition stories of contending with tall pale skinned red-haired cannibalistic giants you know they're everywhere and one famous story is um the city car were driven into lovelock cave for eating the tribes people and they were killed within the cave by putting a fire in front of it you know and that was the remnants of those giants murdered and killed by the tribes who were sick of them eating their children and women you know so it's kind of that's one oral tradition story but you'll find america's full of them uh, the giant of kandahar is one famous one which people talk about quite a lot Correct. um any fact checker will tell you it's all made up you know and in the, it's not true at all um but that description was pale skin six fingers red hair yep. you know it's it seems to be the base of an ethylene there's variations but pale skin and red hair is also the base of a clown that's your basic clown that's what you build upon isn't it you know wipe the skin up put on a red wig you're halfway to a clown so the makeup on the clown for example is usually black lines going down each eye yep. it's reminiscent of a serpent's pupil a slit of some kind it's a reference to a serpentine feature, an over-exaggerated one. If it's not the slits going down the eye, they paint on incredibly high brow ridges going up the forehead. This is to, first of all, make the forehead seem longer and more prominent, which is a common feature found in the skulls of the Nephilim, which is elongated foreheads. 
you'll find elongated skulls have been uncovered all over the place that don't fit the narrative of humanity's history because these are the skulls of giants. These are elongated, serpentine, sharper-featured entities, you know, and they have elongated skulls. So you'll find a clown often wears maybe a cone head as well or a pinhead hat or something something to make the head look bigger, you know. Um, So that's, again, a reference to the Nephilim features. Uh, the high brow ridge paint, you'll find if they paint these really tall, high brow ridges on them, they shade them in blue. And when they close their eyes, it makes them look like they have enormous blue eyes, which, again, would have been a feature of the Nephilim. And they were known as the glowing ones for, around many, in many places because their eyes glowed bright blue or, or kind of honey gold in some way. You know, they were they were luminous in that in that way. And they had large, huge, terrifying slit eyes, you know, Um the clown paint on the mouth is usually painted to make the mouth look bigger, yep. longer, wider. That's a serpentine feature. Again, if you look straight on at a snake, it looks like it's smiling at you yep. because it's just the nature of it's incredibly wide more. A snake can uh, dislocate its jaw to eat its prey. Yep. It has an incredibly wide mouth. And that's what that literally is. That's that's why clowns have wider smiles. It's a, it's a serpentine feature mixed with humanity once again. It's a reference. It's a caricature image. Uh, the red around the mouth, the red paint, could be a reference to their cannibalistic nature. Blood around the mouth, that they were blood drinkers. They were, they were eating humans, you know. But it could also just be as simple as, imagine a snake with human red lips, it would look very strange. <laughs> it would look yeah. silly, you know. <laughs> it could be that they actually had big red lips to sure. their huge wide maws, which would have been weird to look at, you know, a, a serpent mouth with human red lips. It's just a strange image to imagine, and that could have been what it's simply referencing. Um, you'll find many early depictions of Medusa on the stone artwork looks just like this. Um, human snake red-lipped, wide, grinned with sharp fang teeth. It's all, it's all there, you know. And I show a lot of that on my channel as well. Um, so that's the face pretty much broken down. Uh, the red nose is a big one for a lot of people. Uh, a lot of people, uh, from my own research, initially I always assumed it was just going hand-in-hand hand with the blood around the mouth. It's blood on the nose because they're eating humans. But that never sat right with me in my early days. I figured there's got to be a specific reason why a big red bulbous round nose is such an odd stylistic choice to include. You know, if you're trying to talk about the Nephilim, why this big bulbous red nose? And I I looked into it and it turns out there's actually a specific genetic disease incredibly pale people get. It's mainly a Northern European problem. It's called the curse of the Celts for us humans who get this, this genetic problem. Um, and what it can cause is extreme rosacea, where we get these red polka dot patches all over our white pale skin, which could be, again, a reference to what these Nephilim would have looked like. They would have had white skin with these red rosacea patches all over them. But never mind that. One extreme form of this is called a rhinophyma. And you find people who suffer from extreme rosacea can develop these huge, pus-filled, red, bulbousy noses. They look like huge, big, round noses. And the nose just keeps growing and getting redder and redder and more pus-filled and bulbousy. It's called a rhino fiber. And it's only something incredibly pale-skinned people have to deal with primarily. Not the odd outlier, but it's primarily a, 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 a white European trait, you know. So maybe these Nephilim, who had the palest skin, porcelain vampiric white-style skin, had these extreme rhino fibers as they got older you know, and developed more into the, the illness, you know. 
Um, it's possible they literally had big, bulbous red noses for for a very realistic genetic reason, you know. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, for those listening, yeah. basically, if 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 you come in from a very very cold day, basically your nose and then slightly on the your uh, I guess above you know your cheek area, just it it's becomes extremely red. That's really interesting. I'd never heard of that before. Yeah, yeah. But like I said, it can develop even further. There, the nose actually grows into a big bulbous red ball. Um, they specifically called it, and the only way to get rid of them, you have to shave it off with a hot wire. And to wow. re-sculpt the nose back into a normal shape, you, you know, you don't just get rid of it by putting a bit of ointment on there. Wow, you, it's forever changed until you you burn it off. You know, um, so that's that's the red nose. It's all that's that's all the Nephilim references to the face. Anyway, uh, if you go around the neck of a clown, they often have a ruffle of some kind, yep. uh, like, uh, and that is actually a reptilian frill. It's a distinctly reptilian feature you find in a lot of lizards in Australia. They have these bone. Uh, strewn frills that open up like a big plume when they're in attack mode you know um so yeah the frill around the neck of a clown isn't just some silly ruffle to mock the aristocracy of the day it's actually a direct lizard reference once again to reptilian frills um i got onto that one because there was a film that was released in 2014 which was called clown um so this is before my research even began <laughs> but this film was released i think it was a scandinavian film and it created its own law, this thing called a cloin, which was a demon in the Scandinavian mountains that was like a lizard demon that looked like a clown with a horn basically sticking out of his forehead. And they called it the cloin. And it's not real. This is all a fictional made up story for this film, you know, but this cloin demon ate children. That's what it did. And the story follows a man who basically... It's just an everyman, nobody, you know, and it's his daughter's birthday. He needs to find a clown costume really quickly. He's, he forgot the clown costume and he finds one in the attic and he puts it on and performs the show. And then he realizes he can't take it off. And he eventually discovers, fast forwarding, he's put on the skin of the cloin and it's now possessed him. Wow. Okay. Now turning into a lizard demon with sharp teeth and like he's becoming the demon. And the only way to free yourself from the costume of the cloin is to eat five children. And he distinctly puts on the mask and it has this spiny reptilian frill around its neck, which is attached to the mask with bones coming through it. And that's where I realized it's literally a reptilian frill. That's what that is. That's what that represents. You know, that's. And it, so that is a literal reptilian feature again, the thing around the neck. So get to the clown's body. They always wear psychedelic, colorful, patterned clothing. That's just a reference to serpent skin. Serpents are the most psychedelic looking creatures you'll ever find next to amphibians and fish. Sure. They're very colorful. They're very psychedelic, patterned, colorful creatures. They're not dull and boring. They're not all just browns and blacks, you know, the yeah. checkerboard black and white underbellies with psychedelic reds and oranges mixed swirling together in. They're psychedelic creatures, you know, and you'll find a lot of these Nephilim creatures would have had multicolored, fractal-patterned, crazy skin with a base whiteness to it underneath it all. You know, the face predominantly always seems to be white, um, but the body could have been all sorts of crazy colors for all we know. And there's a lot of variations in the reptile kingdom, and the Nephilim also had many variations, you know, in, in realistic terms. Um, but the, like I said, the clown is a caricatured over-exaggeration of, of these things. So it's just pulling off features and making it into this symbol we call a clown. So that's where the psychedelic pattern clothing comes from. Um, you'll also find the clowns wear big shoes, yep. giant have big feet, 
Clowns are often on stilts to show that they are incredibly tall and giant. Uh, clowns often either have a tiny umbrella or a tiny hat to accentuate their features as being larger than life because they're representing giants. Um, everything's just a reference from then on. Um, many clowns coming out of a tiny car, not only does it make them look like giants compared to the car, but it's also a symbolic reference to many demons or a legion of demons coming out of a vessel, which is a vehicle, a car. Like ourselves. In a dream. Yeah. Yeah. In dream symbology, if your car breaks down, it usually represents that your ability to move through the world is also breaking down. So you might, you might be ill and if you're ill right now and feel like you can't do anything, you might have a dream that your car breaks down. <laughs> do you know what I mean? That's because sure. the, the car represents the body. So the symbolically, the clowns coming out of the car, that was a joke. That was a reference to multiple demons coming out of a human's body. You know, it's that's how they work. You know, and it's quite clever. Um we'll get into the history of the circus afterwards, but that's basically a clown and why it references the Nephilim. It was, it was carefully orchestrated and sculpted on purpose. Well, I've, yeah. I've learned more about clowns in the last half hour than I have in my entire life. When we first connected, I thought it was very interesting because I know people personally who are freaked out by clowns and it's a very common thing. And I've never put two and two together. The, the, you know, reference to the demons with that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Colorphobia is a big fear. It's it's like it's up there in top ten. Um, they've recently released. I've noticed this now, but every three months, an article always get always comes out talking about the fear of clowns, and they always say the same thing. It's the uncanny valley. It's because it's almost human, but not quite, and we can't read its facial features, so it freaks us out. That's why people don't like clowns. It's like why do you keep t- why do you keep repeating this point every three months? It's such such a bizarre thing to keep talking about, you know. And I think they're trying to cover for something. Because I think the reason we're actually scared of clowns is because it's kind of deep rooted into our ancestral DNA to to be weary of this predator that once ate us. You know what I mean? Like this was this was the apex predator during the antediluvian age. This was better, stronger, and faster than we are, and taller. We were its food. Yeah. You know, and that can leave that can leave a scar on the collective psyche of humanity. And I do think generationally we have this inbuilt natural repulsion and fear towards anything that reminiscent is reminiscent of Nephilim creatures. So the clown obviously is, is on the nose, isn't it? And it people just recoil from it. And it, they say five percent of the general population are scared of clowns. And that's actually a huge That's a huge a, number. A huge, yeah. That's huge. For sure. Um, and that's the recent figures on that. But uh, yeah, chorophobia, huge fear in context and in light of my theory, it, it can make a lot more sense when you actually start thinking about it. Yeah. And, and if somebody would have asked me before today, you know, when did clowns kind of start? I would have probably said, oh, you know, 1200s, maybe, you know, that 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 era. But it, it goes back to Fifth Dynasty Egypt around 2400 BC. So you're talking, uh, you know, 4500 years Sure. Do you want me to go into the history? Yeah, please do. Yeah, all right, sure. So you're right, you know, Egyptian pharaohs did have their own kind of court jester-style clowns, usually representing the dwarf god Bess, or Besset, the female version Besset. Um, Their versions were more like protectors of the home. Um, They were kind of... I wouldn't call them clowns as we would have them today. They didn't act like clowns. The sense of humor then was very different. You know what I mean? They're more like mimes or mimics. They would mimic 
people of of fame or of influence to kind of make light of their of their personalities. They were more that's more likely what they were. And um, you'll find that actually the first things we would call anything close to a clown was coming out of the Greek theatre of Aristophanes into into kind of early we're talking like. 2000 years ago okay around that time time period 2500 years ago greek theater was developing their own kind of proto clown character called the parasite and the parasite would basically be somebody who would hang around the altars of the gods taking the food that people would leave for the gods you know what i mean and that the 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 joke and the clownery came from look at this poor member of society doing these foolish things that no one should do you know, that's kind of how the humor would happen. And that developed into, they became like a sideline character who wasn't on stage, but would be talking to the audience, mocking the people on the stage. And the audience would laugh at the actors and the sure. actors would pretend not to hear it. You know what I mean? That kind of was the first clowning type character in theaters, but they didn't look like clowns. They didn't, they would just look like actors, like people, you know, they had their own thing, whatever it was for that particular play they were doing, but they weren't clowns like we would call them. Right. And then obviously parallel to Greek culture, we had Roman culture and they had their own thing going on with clowns. They had a Sanios and they had Stupidus and Moronis. And this is where we get these names from, from Roman times. And these were street performing mimes and mimics again. So mocking the the rich people, acting like rich toffs, you know, pretending to be people they're not to make people in the streets laugh, you know. And they had their own form of theatre, which was had similar stock characters. Um, obviously, Venice, Venetian masks and artwork, all these carnivals they had, you know, they had this time of ex- excess and Saturnalia during that time as well. Yeah. It was, you know, I do believe they were doing a lot of channeling through wearing masks and things in that time. But again, they didn't have what we call a clown then, but they had these clownish characters. And then 500 AD comes, the collapse of Rome is kind of in full swing and takeover of, of um, Roman Catholicism was coming in, you know, and the excesses of Rome kind of led to a, crackdown on on performances and art in general and this is what we call the beginning of the dark ages right. you know the thousand years of artistic silence you know and you find a lot of these um performers had to work somehow you know <laughs> that's all they did that's how they you know so a lot of them left rome and started to travel all around european troops and uh, this would become over a thousand years it would slowly meld into something we call the commedia dell'arte movement but going back to rome this is where court jesters begin begin to come to think. You find the only ones who were allowed to have like a performer or a clown around were the rich people who made the rules. So you find the kings began to have these performers come and perform for them privately, and they became the court jesters kind of organically throughout Europe sure. as that time went on that thousand year period. So that's when you get the court jester phenomena. Um, you also find that people who provided kings with these jesters. Um, the uh, videos have been done about them called the Comprachicos. They were very shady people who who basically mutilated young children into weird shapes and then sold them to the rich people as like a fun commodity, you know, yeah. like a fun little muse, amusement of some kind. So you find there was a lot of these artworks being produced of grotesquely deformed clowns around this medieval time period as well because of this. But that's because the sense of humor at that time was laughing at the poor invalid they were quite brutal and cruel, you wow. know what I mean? It would, the sensation was was weird. Um, but you'll find while that jester thing was, that court jester thing was going on, you know, and think about that concept. A court jester is the only one allowed to mock the king. 
there's something to be said about that in light of this new theory that the Nephilim are above the kings, technically, yeah. you, know? Sure. <laughs> you know, and the kings believe they have the bloodline of the Nephilim and it's all something weird about that concept. But let's follow the comedal arts. So for a thousand years, you know, they basically just had these basic stock characters and um, the Zanies, which were the buffoon clownish like characters. And then you had the rich man, Pantaloon, you had the Columbine, the daughter of the rich man, you had Clown, which was the slave of the rich man, the servant. Um, and then you had a new character kind of get introduced um, after the soldiers and and other random stock civilians, you know, called Harlequin. Now, Harlequin was a relatively new addition that started to develop out of the 14th, 13th century, you know. So we're talking like a good 700 years later, you know, after the collapse of Rome. Sure. And it was kind of introduced organically because you find these troops were traveling throughout Europe and they were discovering that everywhere in Europe had a wild man tradition. And a wild man tradition happened around the Lent period of before fasting and around the winter periods, you know, just before winter started to come in as well. And it was always people would dress up like big, hairy, terrifying, big tooth monstered creatures and just go around their villages causing terror, you know, and have a huge or- orgiastic party of some kind. Sounds like yeah, uh, absolutely. Mardi Gras here in the United States, right? Oh, about yeah, the yeah. same time period as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what it's inspired by the same things. Yeah. And you find this wild man tradition would happen and then they would fast for however their period was afterwards. So they have this moment of excess dressed like demons and then they would suddenly fast and become more Christian again. Right. You find a lot of that going on after the Roman, the, the Catholic takeover of pagan traditions. A lot of this stuff was happening, you know, but the wild man tradition was every, I'm talking it spread all throughout Europe from east to west. You know, you can go to Eastern Europe and, and the Balkans and all that area into Russia. Mm-hmm. And then you can all the way to Portugal and you'll find the same tradition. It comes out of Celtic traditions primarily. So that was that covered a large span of space, you know, and, um, and they were venerating this tall, hairy, club-wielding beast. You know, call it Bigfoot if you want to. I don't know. Maybe that's where it all comes from in terms of inspiration. But it was basically an Ephilim giant. And these wild man traditions would, they believe they were dressing like it to scare them away or to blend in in some way. Or in some cases, outright just channel the demon and let loose, you know, and, and do everything excessively before fasting. It's whatever. They all had their own way of, doing it but it was common it was everywhere and these troops picked up on this and realized this is a stock character we need to incorporate because people can relate to it you know and it became the demon character that's what they've made it for it was the 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 otherworldly thing the thing the stock demon beast monster who was outside of the play and could break the fourth wall and harlequin had his slapstick and when he hit the stage the scenery would change he had powers you know he could do backflips and almost like he was flying you know and you'll find a lot of mediterranean roman influence had been mixed in with it to create harlequin because you had um, characters like Hermes or Dionysus, mm. Hermes with his Caduceus staff or Dionysus with his Pinecone Thursus staff, you know, coming out of that Thracian culture of 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 a fleet-footed Mercury-style character with like wings on his feet mixed with this beast hairy creature of the North Teutonic uh, traditions coming out of the Northern traditions, you know, and it became Harlequin. And Harlequin was actually named after a French variation of this beast called Helikins. That's who they based it on. So that's where you get Harlequin from. You get it from Helikins. But also there's a there's a Gaelic text uh, reciting some uh, Old Testament stories talking about um, Cain. And he's the Gaelic term is Hurlicane. And that 
really? could also mean the, the hairy Kane, Harley Quinn. Um, so remember, Kane was killed by Lamech and Tubal Kane because they mistook him for a wild beast while yeah. hunting. So he was a hairy wild man. You know, that's how he's described to have looked based on those stories. I think it's from extra, I think Jubilees talks about that or yeah. Jasher kind of extra biblical texts. Um, but so, but their versions of it in this Gaelic language would describe it as Hurley Kane. So that's again, another reference to a wild man tradition and Harley Quinn. So that's kind of where Harley Quinn comes into it. And that's the first real proto clown. And this comes out of the 14th, 15th, 16th century. And then coming out of the dark ages, big enlightenment period, you know, artwork is coming back, performances are coming back. And you find he he was the star of the show. People love this devilish, cheeky character that would play with his stick like it was a phallus and do cheeky things to people. And that's where the comedy started to come from, you know. Um, but then it, things changed. Slowly coming into the 19th century, he had developed into kind of like a, a lovesick fool, he wasn't the devilish character anymore. He wasn't that devilish, weird demon thing, you know, <laughs> which, and he used to dress with a black hairy mask and have tattered clothes with tufts of hair sticking out of it, you know, and multicolored patches kind of sewn into it. Not the Harlequin we know where it has his diamond tight leotard on, you know, that, that wasn't what it originally was. That kind of only started to happen in the later centuries, you know, the, the coming out into the 1800s, he started to wear this skin-tight leotard, and he was more of a dandy, like a, a a city dandy. You know, he was, and he just would pine after Columbine, the rich man's daughter, and that's where the jokes would come from. Most of the scripts were just stories of Harlequin stealing the rich man's daughter and trying to run away with her romantically, right. and then a chase would happen where the rich man and his servant clown would chase after them, and that's the comedy. That's the show for an hour, you know, this chase scene, Looney Tunes style, wacky stuff. And you'll find um, every sort of like place around Europe kind of came up with their own versions. It wasn't an Italian, strictly Italian thing anymore. The French had their own Harlequinards and they took uh, the clown, Pedrolino was the name of the clown, and they turned it into Puero. And the France is famous for their Puero clown with the, the white garb with the big black pom-poms and the big cone hat with the right. black pom-poms, you know, and he would give his really dramatic, sad expressions with his face. And he was the first clown not to wear a mask. So all those expressions were done with his actual face. And that was kind of unheard of traditionally, you know, so the French had this romantic, sad, sad sack clown character who was pining after the daughter of the rich man, but she wanted Harlequin. So well, it was me, you know, and he was basically like a loser weirdo, you know, who, right. who didn't didn't get the girl and the comedy would come from laughing at his misfortune, you know. And that was like kind of boring. That was a boring clown. That's not the clowns we know today. You know, that's a, that's a white skin clown, sure. But it, it was more just, again, a, a heartbreak story. Harley Quinn was still the lead at this point. But in Britain, things changed. So, like I said, in Britain, pantomimes... Pantomimes would be like a four-hour endeavor. And then the last hour, it would change to the Harlequinade. And then there would be a chase scene of comedy, you know, just crazy bashful comedy for the last hour. Up until that point, the rest of the show was serious drama, you know? So it was suddenly, all the actors would just change suddenly into these crazy outfits. Benny Hill, huh? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And they would just suddenly have a wild chase scene where Harlequin steals the daughter and the clown and the rich man chase after them. You know, this was a British thing. And, You'll find Harlequin was kind of 
out of the spotlight. He wasn't the demon character anymore. And there was kind of a hole that needed filling. And Clown filled that hole in Britain. So Clown was kind of in British clowning. They were kind of like a clod hopper drunk. They were a fool who would fall over and, and do silly things. You know what I mean? But they were kind of always said to be like a, a gluttonous drunk. That was the British version of a clown. France had the poncy, helpless romantic version of a clown. You know, <laughs> so but you'll find no one was like Harlequin. No, there was no demon character anymore. So in Britain, you'll find the clown kind of took over that role. And that's where we get the first modern versions of the clowns we have today starting to appear. And it was all done by a famous actor at the time called Joseph Grimaldi. He was like raised in the industry. He was performing at Drury Lane and Sadler's Wells Theatre. You know, Drury Lane was the rich person's theatre. Sadler's Wells was the poor person's theatre. They were right next to each other in London, basically 10 minute walk away. You know what I mean? He would perform at both two shows a night. He would perform one and then run to the other and perform another. You know, he was... He was raised in there. His father um, was a dentist for Queen Charlotte at the time. Okay. And he came over to be a dentist for Queen Charlotte and then left that to be a dance instructor for Sadler's Wells and Drury Lane's theatres. And then his son, Joseph Grimaldi, became, grew up in the industry, you know, and he was immediately put on stage at the age of two. And he's just always been there. Reminds me of like the Disney actor, child actors. You know what I mean? He was kind of never left the industry, knew nothing else, basically. And he was raised to be this brilliant performer. Like he, he became the clown and no one had ever seen anybody perform the clown quite like he did. He did. He just brought the character to life and he took over as the lead of the Harlequin arts. Harlequin was just a side character from then on. It was all about clown simply because this one particular actor just blew it out of the water. Every time people loved him. He was a superstar of the time of the 1800s. You know what I mean? Like if anyone was the most famous performer of the time, it was Joseph Grimaldi during his, 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 his heyday. And you'll find something happened when this, it was all very, it was a weird time of performing and the Harlequin art died out. And it became all about clown rather than Harlequin. And there was kind of a mixed up happening in the theatre world. And you'll find Charles Dibdin was this Freemason who was quite famous of the era for writing maritime songs for sailors and things like that. He was a member of the Leicestershire Lodge. I can find a record of, of a memoir to him, like a, a memorial to him, talking about how great this brother was and the things he did for music of the time. You know, he was quite a well-renowned industry mogul in London during this period. And he owned Sadler's Wells Theatre and, and had some stake in Drury Lane as well. And he basically was the boss of Joseph Grimaldi. And he, it was this Freemason called Charles Dibden who decided one day, we're going to do a full costume change for the entire staff. And, um, you know, with, this has not happened in centuries. The, the, you know, this is the first time the costumes have ever been changed. You know, they've always remained the same stock characters. And you'll find Harlequin became this tight skin, lithe, uh, checkered patterned thing, wearing a sailor's hat to one side with a fine, ha- uh, with a feather in his cap. You know, he was a, he was a, a poncy dandy of the town, you know. Um, and then Clown was changed drastically in this costume change. Because prior to this, Clown dressed similar to the boring French version, just wore plain white, boring, loose servant's robes. Nothing special. But in this costume change, 
this Freemason turned the clown into the psychedelic, freakish-looking monster we know today all of a sudden. You know? And it's kind of, where did that come from? Are they trying to make him look more like Harlequin? Because he's replacing Harlequin as the demon character now, you know, becoming this cheeky character who carries around a hot poker and puts puts up people's right. bums, you know. That's, that's what he was doing at the time, you know. He was this cheeky... He was a servant for the rich man, but he didn't really do a very good job. You know what I mean? He was, like, really in charge. It was that type of joke, you sure. know what I mean? And he would he would half-assed everything while always trying to steal food and money and all these type of things. He was a cheeky demonic character, and they made him dress like one. They made his dress similar to how Harlequin used to originally look. So there was this character switch in this period, purposely done by a Freemason who owns the industry. And what did he do during his time? He took one of the most famous people who everyone idolized at the time and dressed him like a demon basically and from then on that way of dressing like a clown was the only way you could dress like standard right that was it then that was the industry standard everyone else started doing it and this freemason has inserted into the entertainment industry of the day a symbol of a demon that people now idolize and if you think about it that's kind of what they still do today in the music industry. They get their idols to dress like demons and venerate right. demons publicly and get people to follow it and worship it and idolize it. He just did the same thing, but like 200 years ago in that era, that time period's version of the mainstream industry <laughs> of entertainment. And uh, yeah, so the, the clown costume was a purposely invented creation of a Freemason called Charles Dibden, who literally changed a centuries, almost millennia old tradition of clothing. For his, for his versions of the performances, and he put into the spotlight the clown. And Joseph Grimaldi, the actor, is always the one credited with creating the modern-day clown. He's just a patsy. He's just a, he's just a, sure. some guy. You know, he, was just a, he, he didn't create the modern clown. He might have put a bit of extra face paint on, but he didn't invent that costume. Sure. And that costume, the old 1800s costumes of clowns are terrifying. They're not. They are even more reptilian in nature than what we have today. They they just look absolutely psychedelic and insane. Like they, they went hard then, you know. And I I cannot help but see the similarities to all of these folk traditions. It's like he it's like he as a traveling man, which a Freemasons are. They travel the, the world of the yep. time. He must have seen some of these folk traditions, venerating demons and dressing in certain ways. He must have come back to England and just mashed them all together and created this outfit and then put it on the stage and made a really famous person make it popular. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's basically what he did. For sure. And now now we have and it's been picked up since then. And then you have circuses coming after this event, you know, and coming through the 20th century. Circuses start to appear and you'll find they're all Freemason owned. All the Ringling Brothers are Freemasons, P.T. Barnum and Bailey, you know, they both Freemasons. I think it was P.T. Barnum who came up with the phrase as a sucker born every minute. Okay. These people were powerful, rich, influential people of the entertainment industry. Sure. And they invented a thing called the circus. Let's break that down, shall we? What is a circus, but a ring of some kind? And who stands in the center of the ring? The ring It's master. the ring master. Yep. Well, how does the ring master dress? He dresses, he dresses like a Freemason. Yep. He is a cane carrying, top hat wearing, Grand masterful worship, grand worshipful master of the lodge. Now, the grand worshipful master of any Freemason lodge, the one who orchestrates the rituals, who runs the place, is the only one allowed to wear a top hat. So now, 
we have a Freemason created thing called a circus and the ringleader, the orchestrator of the ritual of the circus is the grand worshipful master. The only one allowed to wear a top hat. So they, they basically just mimicked their lodges traditions and put them into a thing called a circus. They made it public. They've externalized it. And then you have, what does the ringmaster do, but control the clowns? What does these Freemasons do in their lodges, but, summon demons and orchestrate the ritual to communicate with Nephilim demons. It's the same thing, just symbolically turned into something we call a circus performance. It's just a, it's just a Freemason ritualistic performance transferred into something they call a circus purposefully invented by them for that sole reason. Now they can venerate their gods publicly and get the public involved in the rituals and they wouldn't even know it's perfect you know and they use the clown to do that clowns are synonymous with with circuses and you know what is the ringmaster but the lord of the ring a solomon kind of analog you know the one who used the ring to build the temple with all his demons you know and used you know that's basically it the ringmaster the one who controls the demons of the ring (laughs) the, the clowns that perform around it's it's just an allegory it's just a symbol it's just a metaphor that they've began to make public in a very occult way around this time. And circuses kind of died out over the past 50 years. They're not really around anymore, you know, but they don't have to be anymore. Now we have TV. It's a different game now. That's right. But during the time, circuses were the main performing. They were the main source of entertainment for a lot of people. When the circus came to town, you went. Absolutely. Everybody went. You know, that's what you did. And it's all just an occult practice. It's just rituals. It's just ancestor spirit worship rituals on a huge grand public scale that you're taking part in without knowing that that's what you're taking part in you know but the ones who invented it oh they certainly know i mean pt barnum and bailey and the ringling brothers combined together to make the greatest show on earth the combined and they created for the first combined show a show called king solomon and the queen of sheba okay and everything about this show was created through Freemason-affiliated companies. So all the costumes that were created for this performance were made by the same companies who make all the stuff for Freemasons, so the little aprons and the outfits they wear in their own rituals. All the backdrops were painted by Freemason-owned artistic companies who make their own backdrops for their own lodges. So it's kind of, they transferred these tiny little rituals onto a grand spectacle. And imagine being an, an initiated member of these cults going to see one of these rituals you normally do with just a few people in a lodge suddenly happened on a grand scale for the initiated these were amazing performances of deep esoteric wisdom from their point of view it's not it's all it's all satanic nonsense obviously (laughs) but from their point of view they considered it something amazing and the public are involved we've got we've got the idiots we've got the profane masses taking part and they don't even see it they don't even know they think they're having fun they think they think it's for the kids (laughs) it's just a big joke to these people but absolutely uh, Make no mistake, everything about clowns and the circus is a Freemason invention. And, and it's it's simply just a way to channel demons in a very literal sense. Sure. And like you said, uh, I do remember in the 70s when the circus came to town, we all went. But uh, in the 80s, it did start to die out. But like you said, with the technology, with television and movies, they didn't really need it as much. They can program us from home now. And uh, I think much of the circus has been replaced with music, a lot lot of evil in in today's music. Something I did want to point out when you were mentioning Charles Dibden, um, 
he would have really, when he hit 30s, that would have been just a few years after after the Illuminati was created. Uh, that was created, mm-hmm. I think, uh, May 1st, 1776. And that's really right about the time you started to see the change in the clowns, what you were saying. So I wonder if that had uh, an effect on it as part of the entire change of the world at that time. Possible. I mean, secret, serpent worship cults have always been around yeah, since sure. the Antediluvian age. You know what I mean? And obviously, the Bavarian version, the German Germanic version of the Illuminati. Uh, there probably might be something that I think they were all kind of communicating with each other during that time. But you also you also find in America during this time period, all the Freemasons who basically built America were obsessed with trying to rebuild Solomon's Temple. They were just trying to. They were erecting Solomon temples everywhere, you know what I mean? And they didn't really know what Solomon's temple looked like. They were just making their own versions of it. And they had too much money for their own good during this time period. Um, and obviously when the ac- economic collapse came and the Great Depression kind of took over, yep. they had to tie the belts a little bit and they couldn't just stop building all these crazy temples everywhere. But uh yeah, it was it was it was a it was a grand time for Freemasonry and the circus sure. were in full swing as well. You know, it was it was all kind of going on. It was all happening. It was in full swing. They got cocky, you know, and they they put the, they paraded their gods out in public, and yeah, and yeah, it was a, it was a wild time for sure. <laughs> and like I said, t- today it's it's changed. It's changed, you know. Like I said, the clowns are everywhere now. They're on TV, you know. They're all over the place. And <laughs> today, for example, they're getting us to dress like them and making it a, a legitimate fashion choice. Just at the start of this year. Uh, 2023 fashion l released this article um showing the runways the dress like clowns on the runways now yep. they literally are dressed like harlequin and clowns on the runways yep. clown inspired fashion and they are serious it's the hottest new trend for 2023 you're going to see more clown styles coming up this year and just as we saw released throughout this year in three month intervals since then we've had the big red shoes come out which all the the influencers online were wearing these yep. huge giant red clown shoes a legitimate fashion choice you know and they've just released a big yellow shoe just a couple of months ago which has a wedge of cheese cut out the tip they look like mickey mouse shoes and these are legitimate fashion choices wow. you know they look insane and they're, they're pushing it on us they it's called clown core there's this whole subgenre on tiktok of of people dressing like clowns and going out in the streets and it's not halloween but it's just a style choice like and it's they're pushing it you know if it's on the runways and it's just, it's it's another controlled industry of creativity and you know they're trying to get us to dress like clowns now think about the implications of that based on what i've just told you they're getting us to dress like things in order to be possessed by things right. you know it's your ignorance of that or not is irrelevant that's that's what every other folk traditional ancestor worship culture all over the earth does they know what they're doing in fact only like i said only in the highly christianized western hemisphere do we have to keep it hidden you go to africa you go to australia you go to the polynesians or india or uh, south america they know what they're doing they they tell you yeah we dress like our ancestors to be possessed by them and they're not hidden. The demons are brash. They'll open, openly possess people and speak to people and do make people do crazy, death-defying things out in public in the open. And because they know, well, no one's going to say the name of Jesus here. Sure. <laughs> like, no one's going to, no one's going to rebuke me or cast me out. That's I've got right. an audience. I'm going re- to revel in it. They're giving me everything I want here. You know what I mean? And it's kind of the demons are out in the open, and the people who venerate them are openly honest about what they do. 
were stupid in the West. So we go around dressing like clowns ignorantly. We don't realize we're doing the same thing. We're opening ourselves up in a very literal sense to the Nephilim spirits. And this is what demons are. They are the disembodied spirits of the dead Nephilim, which were once on the earth in the ancient antediluvian and for a short while post-diluvian world. That's what demons are. And they looked like clowns. So dress like one at your own risk, basically. And when they're pushing it on us to make us, you know, what's on the runway might look ridiculous, but what comes downwind of that into the outlet stores is a watered down version eventually. Yeah. So might not have a choice. The only things you can buy in the shops are clown themed stuff eventually. You know what I mean? And obviously not everyone's going to do it, but a good portion of people who follow that kind of nonsense, fashion trends will, you know, and, it's just making it more and more truly a clown world. And we have to be careful. hundred percent. And as we wind down, this hour has flown by and folks, we're bringing Paul <laughs> back next month uh, because I want to peel back the onion even more. I wanted to close on this. If you could break it down in just a couple of minutes, we know that all the people at the top of the food chain, the controllers, they always portray themselves as doing good. Right. Um, so yeah. we'll go back all the way full circle back to the Shriners. Uh, we know their connections to the hospital. Is there something nefarious or have you looked into it uh, between the Shriners and, and the hospitals for children? Well, they always need some kind of smoke screen to get away with why they're doing what they're doing. Um, to say that they're dressing like clowns to entertain sick, dying children sounds like a noble endeavor, doesn't it? But it gives right. them a good excuse to get away with dressing like demons. You'll find another very common version of this is um, something called Children in Need in the UK. It's called Red Nose Day. Um, I think it happens in uh, Australia. Yes. Sorry, in Australia. Not happened in Australia. They do it here too. Most yeah, and in America yeah. and in Canada, they had this thing called Red Nose Day where you donate some money to children in need. It's always the children. It's always the children, honestly. <laughs> it's always the cover when it's the fairies and stupid clowns. And you get a red nose and put it on to show I donated money for children. you know. But what they're doing is they're getting you to dress like something to channel something and bring more demons. They're opening portals. You know, they're encouraging people to dress like clowns, basically, sure. which is a dangerous practice, you know. So that's on a mass scale. But yes, you'll find wherever clowns are publicly involved, it's always for the children. So the Shriners always have the Shrining Hospitals for sick and dying or crippled children. It's very rarely diseased children. They're not interested in the diseased ones. It's the ones with, like, deformities or broken legs or something like that, you know what I mean? And even that's suspect and weird when you think about it, you know, because it's a free service, isn't it? So... They're highly selective in that respect, but it's you have to wonder what they're truly trying to do with these kids. I theorized as well, you know, kids don't like clowns. The research shows actually, oh, yeah. you know, like children do not like clowns. Nope. So why clowns? Why 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 pick a clown to be the thing that you know? And you think that if you imagine that demons kind of have this disembodied issue where they're they're hungry and they can't satisfy it because they haven't got a body. There's these theories that they feed off energy. You know, yeah. that's how they get their sustenance. And what does a clown produce in an individual, especially a child, if not either extreme fear or extreme happiness? It's one of the two, you know, and it's more often extreme fear, sometimes extreme happiness, you know, and either way, whatever the energy is, I think they feed off it. So they're happy to have people dress like clowns to channel them. And then that person dressed like a clown goes to a child, makes them terrified, feeds off it. Yep. through the channel of the person wearing the costume. I think that's pretty much what's going on there. I think that might be a, 
it's like a loose buffet for them these hospitals when you think about it the, th- the kids are already dying and in fear <laughs> like and then you come up waltzing up to them dressed like a demon make it even worse and then that demon just feeds off the energy through your vessel that you're dressed like you know it all makes sense when you yeah. start seeing it as in spiritual warfare terms you know it sounds insane on the surface i know how crazy that sounds but Stephen King's It is literally about a fear-feeding interdimensional clown. Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? They're telling you how it works in, in the movies, you know, and um, I'll, I think that I'll, that probably quickly summarized your, your question there. Yeah, 100%. And I, I look forward to uh, bringing you back the, the first or second week of December, folks. So please do send in your questions for Paul, and we'll peel back the onion another layer. That'll give me a chance to catch... Uh, that 2014 clown movie and look at the esoteric side of it. And uh, I'd like to dig a little deeper into this because um, I really underestimated the depths to all this. And it's very interesting. And one thing I do want to add as we close is uh, in 2016, I opened my own small business and that entire from 2016 to 2018, I was working 70 hours a week. I was kind of oblivious to everything that was going on in the world. And today was the first time I've ever heard of 2016 clown sightings. And reportedly, the first sighting was Green Bay, Wisconsin. And we've been working on, uh, there's a town an hour, I think it's south of Green Bay, called Racine, Wisconsin, which is kind of uh, the NWO city for the future. That They've already kind of kicking off their 15. Have you heard of the 15-minute cities? Where they want, yes. Yeah, th- that's in place. Uh, the mayor is a... Um, brother of the guy who was doing the coronavirus stuff at Cornell University. It's a very unique city. I just found it very interesting that the very first sightings uh, for the 2016 clown sightings were in that area. So that's something I would certainly uh, look at. So as we um, call today for this episode, can you please let everyone know where they can find you? And of course, we'll have the links in the show description, but I'll give you the final word, sir. Sure. So if you want to... um... Follow my full series on this, which spans over seven years. Uh, you can go to my channel at Understanding Conspiracy, and you will find it. If you just type in the Nephilim look like clowns, you may not find me. I seem to be buried heavily. A lot of other things come before I do for some reason. Uh, but you will find a full series if you just go straight to my channel. I think, George, you've got the link, seven years yep. for them to follow. Um, and that's basically where most of my work happens. I do have a Telegram group with about just shy of 400 members. Oh, great. Um, you can you're welcome to join that and get in on the conversation. We don't just talk about clowns. It's about anything and everything conspiracy related. Um, even though I am the guy who predominantly is known for the Nephilim look like clowns, I do talk about a lot of other things. Um, I, sure. I cover a lot of ground. Uh, so come to the channel, come check out the work, come see my backlog and find out who I am and what's going on there. Awesome. You've been really generous with your time. And folks, remember, go to the show notes. All his links will be there. And I'll find the link to the Telegram group and put that in there as well. And uh, send us all your questions and comments. And when we come back next month, we'll peel the onion back another layer. Paul, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it, my friend. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And and thank you, listeners. And God bless you all. Have a great weekend. And uh, keep your head on a swivel. And until the next time, my friends, we will see you. It's been a struggle I know you've had some pain I know you're feeling tired Held down by all the weight Yeah, I know you're feeling lonely Your smile ain't the same I saw where to go from here 
like you've lost your way to the Fact Hunter Radio Network. Just the facts, ma'am.